0: Hey, welcome. First of all, congratulations on enrolling in this course called the Academic Writing Simplified. This course will help you understand the various inputs you will need to start working on academic content. As a content writer, you will be required to work on different types of content. For example, copywriting, technical writing, business writing, SEO content writing, web content writing, maybe ebook content writing, including academic content writing. So this course focuses on the academic content writing. In fact, in the world today, Almost 30 to 35 percent of the content that is being generated is related to the academic areas. I am sure you are aware that academic content is a big business in India and abroad as also. Millions of, millions of rupees are being invested by institutions, schools, colleges, teachers, parents and also students on academic content. So often clients might hire you to create academic content. For example, you may be required to create manuals or papers, journal papers, research reports or thesis reports also. Of course, usually someone who is carrying out a research is expected to write their own research paper or the thesis paper. However, there are exceptions where some people may reach out to you to assist them in the writing process. Academic writing also involves creating question bank study material and also academic guides, academic manuals. It also involves writing letters or mails, emails, newsletters, etc. So this course will help you understand the inputs needed to start getting into the academic writing mode In fact, there are a total of six modules that we will discuss in this course. We will first understand the introduction to academic writing. Then we will move on to understanding plagiarism. How to avoid copyright violations, how to avoid plagiarism. As part of that we will look at paraphrasing, using references, using quotes, etc. Summarizing is also part of that. Then we will look at referencing, which is an important component of every academic writing process. And then we will spend a couple of minutes on understanding the various components of the academic writing. Finally, we will look at different formats for academic writing. And then we will understand some uh, more formats as well. That is the set of components that we will be discussing in this course So shall we start our journey? Are you ready? Before you move on to the next video Quickly in the comment box below this video Explain into what these sentences whatever we have discussed now. Please do that before you move on to the next video. Throughout this course, I will be requiring you to note down and summarize your learning in the comment box below every video. Make it a habit to follow this instruction. Because just watching the video passively will not help you acquire the skills. Once you understand the concept, you need to summarize your learning in the comment box. That way, you will get more clarity and your learning also can be strengthened. Please do that. So, start with summarizing what you understood now in the comment box. Then, meet me in the next video. In the next couple of videos, we will start our discussion to understand the introduction to academic writing. So, let's jump in. So I guess you're ready to start getting into this discussion regarding academic writing simplified Let us start with an introduction to this section called academic writing in the ocean of content writing We will now look at the purpose of academic writing, the types of academic writing, the various formats and also the features of academic writing Let us look at the purpose Now the the most common reasons for academic writing involve the four things that are listed out on the screen Number one to report on a piece of research that you might have conducted Sometimes as a faculty or as an individual you might carry out some research and you have to produce a report regarding the research that you carried out. That is an example of academic writing. The second reason is to answer a question that you might have been given or chosen. So sometimes your client might require you to write responses to queries for their own clients. That could also be part of academic writing. The third, to discuss a subject of common interest and give your view. At times you might be hired by your employer or your client to, to write on a subject or on a topic that is of interest for him and for is related to his business. So that can also be part of academic writing. And the fourth is to synthesize the research done by others on a topic. At times you may have to, read through go through research done by other people on a specific topic or a subject you will be required to synthesize all of that and produce the content that is also another example of academic writing these are the four purposes of academic writing let us now look at the types of academic writing now the common types of academic writing can be classified like this number one notes you know as a student we all used to prepare notes while the lecture is happening in the school college university isn't it sometimes in the office in the industry also when meetings are conducted people take notes so even now when the course is happening you are watching this course we expect that you take notes so what is the meaning of a notes it's a written record of the main points of a text or a lecture because you want to use it for future reference and also for your personal use notes is usually prepared for personal use and for future reference the second type of academic writing is a report This is the most common type of written work and with the title given by your client. Usually clients will let you know what should be the title for the report that you have to write. A report is usually about thousand to five thousand words. And then the third type of academic writing is a project. That is a description of something an individual has done. For example, conducting a survey. Maybe your client might have carried out a survey in relation to his business, and you might be required to actually create a project out of that by collating, compiling the information collected through survey, and also drawing conclusions and inferences, creating reports or the final explanation of how the data can be utilized for the future business benefit. That is an example of a project. Now, other type of academic writing are also examples like essay. This is the general term for any academic essay. It can also be used to refer to a report or a presentation or an article. And then we have a dissertation or a thesis. I am sure you heard of this word. This is the longest piece of writing normally done by a student. Usually as part of obtaining a higher degree, usually as part of post-graduation or a PhD, people will be required to submit a dissertation or a thesis. And the topic for the thesis or the dissertation is usually chosen by the student. The teacher, lecturer, professor will approve it. The guide sometimes for the project will approve it. And then as a student, you, uh, the guide will be required to carry out the project, carry out the research and finally write the thesis or the dissertation. And this this is the longest piece of writing possible in the academic writing types. Usually, approximately 20,000 words and more will be used for creating a thesis or a dissertation. If you look at it, approximately, let's say 200 words on MS Word page, per page if you have 200 words, it will become a thesis of about 100 pages, almost. And then the next type of academic writing is a paper, journal paper or a research paper. You know, faculty in many organizations, institutions, educational institutions like, you know, colleges or universities will be required to publish research papers. And often the employer will be willing to give them a hike in the salary or promote them to higher designation only depending upon the number of papers they have published. And that is the reason why writing academic papers is also part of their responsibility. And sometimes a client might hire you to write that research paper, the journal paper. So what is a paper? It's a piece of research, either individual or as a group, with the topic chosen by the writers themselves. So we understood the types also. Let us now look at the formats of academic writing. Formats broadly there are two of them one the short essays and they generally have three sections the introduction the main body and the conclusion and I'm sure you're aware this is the format we use even when we want to write articles this is what we have been trained on in school college university also essay starts with an introduction there's a main body and finally the conclusion isn't it that's how the short essay format is defined however at times you might also have to write longer essays so longer essay will include these items number one the introduction as usual then the main body followed by literature review what's literature review? assessment evaluation of uh, literature that's already available in the world online and offline some literature review assessment evaluation of literature that's already available in the world online and offline related to that topic or subject because many people might have already carried out research on the same topic or similar subjects and you are expected to research all of that you have to review that means you have to critically evaluate you have to assess you have to summarize and produce all the data in your essay that is called as the literature review section then we have case study sometimes you may also have to provide a case study as part of your long essay a case study is a a real life scenario real life incident that is described to lend credibility to your report to your essay and then the discussion followed by the conclusion after the conclusion you also might be required to include references and appendices. References, we know, all the sources you might have referred to while collecting the data and information in the process of writing the content for the essay. And then the appendices. Appendices refer to any additional information that you may want to share. Usually forms or formats or questionnaires, all of them can be part of the appendices. So that's how a longer essay will contain all these items. When compared to the shorter essay, this is usually lengthy because of so many sections being included in the longer essay. And then we have dissertations and journal articles, and a journal article, it's also called the research paper or a research article or a dissertation, and they will contain all these components as part of the content. Number one, the abstract. You know an abstract refers to the summary, brief explanation of what the the paper contains, what the article contains. A half-page summary, approximately 150 to 200 words. And then you have to provide the list of contents, the list of tables list of contents is different from the list of tables in your dissertation in your article in your research paper you might provide statistics you might provide data in the form of tables so all the tables have to be listed out under this section called the list of tables with appropriate table numbers and then the list of contents refers to the table of contents the TOC and then introduction the main body literature review already we discussed case study the findings what have you found what have you observed through the research carried out through your dissertation right so all that has to be furnished in these findings, and then the discussion regarding those findings, how is it relevant to the current study, then the conclusion followed by references and appendices already discussed. However, these acknowledgements are also part of every dissertation and journal article. Acknowledgements we know refer to thanking people who have helped you in the process of creation of this report, creation of this paper, people who might have assisted you, people who might have helped you collect the data or information, people who might have helped you complete the writing this content of the report. All those will be part of the acknowledgements, including thanking your guide or the teacher, lecturer, professor who has been able to guide you, who has been able to help you select the topic on the area of research as well. That's how dissertation and journal articles will contain all of them. So we understood the formats also. Let us now look at the various features of academic writing. Now, academic writing generally has these six features. We know usually there is a heading and these features are applicable to most of the other writing also. For example, even in technical writing, you might have all of them, but more so the case in the academic writing context. So the first one is the heading for the article that you write, then the subtitle. Usually there will be a heading for the article. However, you, you should also include subtitles wherever relevant, wherever possible. So that it's easy for the reader to understand in one quick glance uh, what is the article about, subtitles will help him understand the the focus areas And then the paragraphs, under every subtitle there can be paragraphs one, two, three, four, etc. Then the title for the paragraph if you want to, then sentences within the paragraph and also phrases within the paragraph These are the six components which are part of every academic writing And then of course other common text features as part of academic writing. Number one, reference to sources using citations. I'm sure you've heard of this word citation. References to sources that you have used while preparing the content. For example, you might want to write it like, according to Tamura et al, et et al all, refer to, it, it actually means others, all others together, right? Then, the use of abbreviations to save space. For example, if you want to write this word, docos hexa, Ionic acid Instead of writing the entire word to save space you may want to use the abbreviation DHA First time you mention this in your writing you write the full form with mentioning the abbreviation in the bracket Next time you don't have to produce the entire word You just have to mention it as DHA It becomes easy because you can save space It also becomes easy to write And then the third is the italics You use italics to show words from other languages For example, Tamura et al On the screen now, I have not put them in italics because I didn't have the facility for that in my software that I'm Welcome back We will now look at the concept of plagiarism first we will understand what is plagiarism then we will look at how to avoid plagiarism Welcome back we will now look at the concept of referencing please understand that referencing is a part of every academic writing process We know that academic writing depends on the research and ideas of others. So it is vital to show which sources you have used in your work in an acceptable manner and that is where we use the process of referencing. There are some guidelines for referencing. Let us understand them. First thing is why should we use references? There are three main reasons for providing references and citations. Number one, to show that you have read some of the authorities on the subject which will give added weight to your writing. Now if you have watched my course which which is called as Copywriting Mastery, you would have understood that we have discussed various techniques and formulae and have referred to people who have given those formulae. That way there will be credibility established, there will be authority lent to this content that you are writing. And one reason why we have to use references is to show that you have read some of the authorities on the subject which will lend a lot of weight and credibility to your own writing. The second reason is to allow the reader to find the source if he or she wants to examine the topic more in detail. And the third reason to avoid plagiarism we use references now citations and references it is important to refer correctly to the work of other writers that you have used you may present these sources as a summary, or you may decide to paraphrase, or you may also decide to use as a quotation. We have already discussed all these three earlier in the previous videos. In each case, a citation is included to provide a link to the list of the references at the end of your paper. Like for example, this is how a citation can be written, a reference can be written, saying, Smith argues that the popularity of the sports utility vehicle is irrational, as despite the higher cost, most are never driven off-road. In his view, they are bad for road safety, the environment, and the road congestion. If you notice, we have done paraphrasing, we have used a quotation, we also summarized. All the three are included in this citation. Now, a quotation involves, it includes author's name, date of publication, and the page number. For example, Smith, 2009, 37. This is how a quotation should be written. Whereas a summary will involve, it will include the author's name and the date of publication. Example, Smith, 2009. References will be written like this Smith, M., 2009, Power on the State, Basing Stroke, Palgrave, Macmillan. So power on the state is the name of the work written by Smith, the article or the book or the uh, the paper. Basin stroke is the location and Palgrave Macmillan is the name of the publisher. That is how references have to be written. So we understood how to write citations and references. Pause this video here in the comment box below this video. Write one example for a quotation, one for a summary, one for a reference. Please do that and then continue watching this video. Now let us understand reference verbs. That means words you can use to... When you write references, example, summaries and quotations are usually introduced by a reference verb, like for example, Smith argues that, argues is the verb, Janovic claimed that, claimed is the verb, so learn to use verbs like this whenever you want to introduce summaries and quotations, these verbs can be in the present tense or they can also be in the past tense, you can say argued or claimed, right, you notice here argues is in the present tense, claimed is in the past tense, normally the use of the present tense suggests that the source is very recent and is still valid, Whereas if you use past tense it indicates that the source is older and maybe out of date but there are no hard and fast distinctions. You can decide to use past tense present tense as per your convenience. In some disciplines an old source may still have validity. So that is why usually it is advisable to use past tense when you write summaries and quotations. So pause the video again in the comment box below this video. Write one sentence to indicate the summary one sentence for quotation ensure you use the different verbs like argues or claimed or says or indicates or quotes or summarizes etc use verbs like we have shown here use tense or the past tense that's your choice pause this video complete that activity in the comment box then continue watching this video now reference systems There are various systems of reference in the world today and you should actually find out from your employer or from your client who has hired you to do the work. You should ask them what is the system of reference you have to use because in the world there are various systems. Like for example, the most widely used systems, one of them, the first of them, it's called the Harvard system. It is generally used for English language and business related topics and subjects. Then the second one is called the Vancouver system It is widely used in medicine and science related subjects and topics And numbers in brackets are inserted after the citation And these will link to a number list of references Like for example Jasanoff see the bracket with the five number inside Makes the point that the risk of cross reference infection is growing So in the Vancouver system numbers are written in the brackets After the citation and they will be linked to a number list of references And the third system is called the footnote system It is also called the end notes system It is very commonly used in humanities, in which the sources are listed at the bottom of the page and again at the end of the paper. You might have noticed this in many academic books you might have read, right? The numbers in the superscript run consecutively throughout the paper. For example, the effects of the French Revolution were felt throughout Europe. See the number 3 here, I have written 3 beside the word Europe. It should actually be written as a superscript on top of the letter E. However, my software I used to create this presentation, the animation, does not let me add superscripts, I have just written 3 beside it. However, note that we are referring to superscripts. So in the Harvard system, it is generally used for English language and business The Vancouver system used for medicine and science related subjects The footnotes or the endnote system used for humanities related subjects and topics And again pause this video, list out what you understood about the three reference systems Then continue watching this video The next is using quotas- quotations using a quotation means reproducing the words as it is from the source bringing the original words of writer into your work quotations are effective in some situations but remember you should not overuse them otherwise you run the risk of having your entire article full of quotations from words from other people's work only your own words may be less in number so the reader may not appreciate that now why are quotations to be used because sometimes they are very valuable particularly when the original words express an idea in a distinctive way and you cannot replace those words with your own words also when the original content is more concise than your own summary can be right and also when the original version is well known like for example, Robert Frost has written a poem. Into the words, miles, befo- miles to go before I keep. Miles to go before I keep. You cannot uh, summarize or you cannot uh, rewrite a paraphrase. It's better to produce, reproduce the original words because they express the idea in a distinctive way. They express the idea in a more concise way than what we can do as a summary. And they also are well known. And hence, uh, in all these contexts, it is better to use quotations, reproduce the words as they are. Right? Then all quotations should be introduced by a phrase that shows the source and also explains how this quotation fits into your argument your explanation like for example short quotations usually two to three lines are shown by single quotation marks the quotations inside the quotations will use double quotation marks observe here in the example as james marked martin's concept of internal space requires close analysis so internal space is the quotation inside the quotation so we have put that phrase in double quotes whereas the entire quotation is in the single quote notice that so short quotations of two to three lines are usually shown with single quotation marks longer quotations are either indented that means you have to give a, uh, a wider margin, or they are printed in smaller type, smaller font size. In this case quotation marks are not needed, because let's say you produce, re- reproduce entire paragraph or two paragraphs in your work from the original source, then there is no point trying to, put in, trying to put in the entire set of paragraph or two paragraphs in quotes or double quotes or single quotes. So there quotation marks are not needed, you just have to ensure that that content is in a lesser font size and probably you use a bigger margin. The third aspect is that page number should be given after the date. Whenever there is a date involved in the quotation, you have to give page numbers after the date next item care must be taken to ensure that the quotations are the exact words of the original if it is necessary to delete some words that are irrelevant use ellipsis, dot 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 to show where the missing section was like for example few inventions dot 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 have been as significant as the mobile phone you have ignored you have omitted something in between to indicate that some content is emoted you use this dot 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 which is also called as an ellipsis, right to understand more you should watch the course that we offer called language skills for, for writers where i explain clearly all the rules for using punctuation marks including ellipses then it may be necessary to insert a word or a phrase into the quotation to clarify a point this can be done by using square brackets observe the example written here modern ideas of freedom differ radically from those of the ancient world of freedom is uh, uh, inserted in the square brackets to clarify the point which ideas modern ideas of freedom and how to use brackets is also explained in our course that we offer called language skills for writers please watch that course complete that course before you watch this course if you are not at enrol for that course i encourage you to enrol for it next abbreviations in citations in text citations use the following abbreviations derived from latin and printed in italics for example, et al. Remember, we already mentioned this earlier. It is normally used when there are three or more authors for a content, for a topic, for a paper, for a subject. The full list of names is given in the reference list. Like, many Americans fail to vote. And then, Hobolt et al. 2006 137. Et al. here refers to. And others also. Hobolt and others also. Et al. means and others. And the entire list of the names of other people will be given in the reference list later. Similarly, I bid, an abbreviation, I bid. Means taken from the same source as the previous citation. For example, older Americans are more likely to vote than the younger so here when you put IBID it means this is taken from the same source as the previous citation so the entire citation is not uh, reproduced again IBID refers to the concept that uh, this is taken from the previous citation same source as the previous citation similarly op.cat, opposite means taken from the same source as previously but for a different page if the page is same we use IBID if the page is different we use opposite. next organizing the list of references at the end of an essay or a report there must be a list of all the sources cited in the writing in the Harvard system, remember we mentioned earlier three systems of references: the Harvard system, the Vancouver system, the Endnotes, or footnote system. So, in the Harvard system, illustrated here, the list is organized alphabetically by the family name of the author. You should be clear about the difference between first names and family names. See, on the title pages, the normal format of first name and then family name is used. Observe the example: Sheila Burford, Juan, Juan Gonzalez, uh, Juan Gonzalez. Yeah, sorry, Gonzalez. Sheila Burford. If you notice, Sheila is the first name and Burford is the family name. This is the normal format. Juan is the first name and Gonzalez is the family name. But in, but in citations only the family name is used, observe Burford 2001, Gonzalez 1997, first names are avoided, only family name is used. In reference lists you have to use the family name and the initials, example Burford S, S stands for Sheila, first name is initialized here, similarly Gonzalez J, J stands for Juan. first name again initialized. So we understood in this video the concept of referencing, we also discussed various guidelines for referencing. Quickly summarize these guidelines, almost a 9 to 10 of them we have discussed, summarize them in the comment box below this video before you move on to the next video. or words from a source without giving credit or acknowledgement to the person who has actually created that idea or or the concept. Now this is seen as a kind of a theft and is considered to be an academic crime. In academic work the ideas and words are seen as private property belonging to the person who has first created them. Isn't that true? Therefore it is important to understand the meaning of plagiarism and you should also learn how to prevent it in your work. That's the reason we are discussing this. There are several reasons why you should avoid plagiarism. Number one, You know that copying the work of others will not help you to build your own credibility. Number two, to show that you understand the rules of the academic community, you need to avoid plagiarism. Number three, please understand that plagiarism can easily be detected by clients and also through a lot of software available online and offline. The lot of plagiarism checking software, copyright violation checking software, lot of them. In fact, in a course that we offer which is called Internet Tools for Writers, I have explained clearly the tools that you need for various purposes related to the content writing field. And one of the tools that I explained is the tool that will help you check for plagiarism for copyright violation. So please watch that course as well, Internet Tools for Writers. If you do not have access to the course, please enroll for that also. We offer a series, a, a, a bundle of courses, a wide range of courses related to various aspects of the internet, including digital marketing, content writing, etc. So if you already have access to that course, please watch that course to understand the various tools. One of the tools that you will understand, you will learn there, is the tool meant for checking for plagiarism, to check for corporate violations. We understood what is plagiarism. Let us see how to avoid plagiarism. First thing is, you need to acknowledge the sources. In the academic context, if you want to avoid plagiarism you need to acknowledge the source from which you have taken the content so if you borrow from or refer to the work of another person you must show that you have done this by providing the correct acknowledgement there are two ways of doing it number one through a summary and citation or number two through a quotation and citation summary means you just provide your own summary once you read the source you understood and then you provide a summary like for example you can write smith 2009 claims that the modern state wields power in new ways so you have stated it in your own words as a summary and this is called a citation you are summarizing and you are referring to smith so it's called a summary and citation whereas if you reproduce the words written by that person as they are it is said to be a quotation and citation example according to smith the point is not that the state is in retreat but that it is Developing new forms of power So in the bracket you have mentioned Smith, 2009, 103 it refers to the year and the volume of the page, right? So this is called quotation and citation The citation makes it clear to the reader That you have read Smith's works And you have borrowed the ideas from his work This reference gives the reader the necessary information to find the source If the reader needs more details Obviously, some people go through the citation that you have provided, they may want to actually go and read what Smith has written, right? In such a case, this reference will help them do that. That's also another reason why we provide the citation. So you understood that acknowledging the source can be done in two ways, summary and citation, second is quotation and citation. So pause this video here, and what you need to do now, in the comment box below this video, write an example for summary and citation, an example for quotation and citation. How do you do that? Go online, search for an author and see what this author has written Read a paragraph written by the person, summarize what you understood and then that becomes summary and citation Likewise, just reproduce the exact words written or spoken by someone mentioning his name like the example I have written here And that becomes the quotation and citation Please write these two examples, one example for summary and citation, one example for quotation and citation Write them in the comment box below this video, pause this video, complete the task and after that continue watching this video Now, you can avoid plagiarism also by summarizing and paraphrasing Quotations should not be overused. So you have to learn to paraphrase and summarize in order to include other writers ideas in your work. Because when you want to use the source written by someone, you want to use it as a reference or a source. Reproducing all their words does not make sense. Ultimately, you have to write your own article, your own thesis, your own academic content. So that is why you have to learn how to do paraphrasing, how to do summarizing. So what is the meaning of paraphrasing? It involves rewriting a text so that the language is substantially different while the content remains the same the concept of the content remains the same but you have to rewrite the text so that the vocabulary sentence structure all that is different entirely different from the original content and summarizing means reducing the length of a text but retaining the main points understand carefully paraphrasing involves rewriting the text whereas summarizing means you have to reduce the text the length of the text but you should still retain all the main points from the original source paraphrasing it all means as we just now said changing the wording of a text so that it is significantly different from the original source you have to ensure that the meaning is not changed now effective paraphrasing is a skill needed for every content writer that is one way you can avoid the risk of copyright violations the risk of plagiarism in fact it also demonstrates your understanding of the source material so what are the elements of effective paraphrasing paraphrasing and summarizing are normally used together in essay writing but while summarizing aims to reduce the information to a suitable length, paraphrasing actually focuses on restating the relevant information. We already mentioned this. Remember, summarizing involves reducing the length of the content, whereas paraphrasing involves restating the content in your own words. For example, look at this sentence. There has been much debate about the reasons for the industrial revolution happening in the 18th century Britain rather than in France or Germany. Now this sentence, if I were to paraphrase it, it can be written as why the inter- industrial revolution occurred in Britain in the 18th century instead of on the continent has been the subject of considerable discussion. So entire vocabulary sentence has been rephrased, rewritten to avoid copyright violation however the meaning is retained that is how paraphrasing has to be done also note that effective paraphrasing usually sticks to these four components number one it will have a different structure to the original content so if the original sentence structure is written active voice you may choose to write in passive voice right sentence structure itself can be changed to avoid copyright violations also you should use different vocabulary use synonyms wherever needed use different words closely related words wherever needed avoid using the same words from the source material and you should also focus on retaining the same meaning the meaning should not be lost And you should keep some phrases from the original which are in common use. Like for example, academician, a word like that is commonly used. You don't have to worry about using a synonym. You can continue, go ahead and use the same word. So some phrases from the original content can be used definitely. But paraphrasing mostly focuses on ensuring that your sentence structures are completely different from the original sentence structures. And your vocabulary should be entirely different while ensuring that the meaning is retained. These are the elements of effective paraphrasing. Now, let us look at the techniques for paraphrasing. One technique is you can change the vocabulary by using synonyms. For example, instead of argues, you can use the word claims. Isn't it? Instead of saying 18th century, you can say 1700s, instead of saying wages, you can say labor costs, instead of saying economize, you can say savings. So this is where you should have enough vocabulary so that you can use appropriate synonyms. If you are worried that you do not have enough vocabulary with you, what you can do is, you can use other tools. There are tools, there are software tools available which will help you identify the synonyms if you just key in the word that you want. And in our course called Internet Tools for Writers, I have explained tools that can use for identification of synonyms. There are one or two tools that we have explained. If you already have access to that course, please watch that. If you do not have access, if you're not enrolled for it, I encourage you to enroll for that also. It's called the internet tools for content writers. Please note that you should not attempt to paraphrase every word. In a sentence, if there are 10 words, you should not try and write a synonym for every word. That will be meaningless. It will also require a lot of effort. Doesn't serve any purpose, finally. So don't attempt to paraphrase every word because some words may not have true synonyms. Like for example, look at the word demand. Can you think of a synonym for that? A synonym is equally, you know, same in meaning, difficult, isn't it? Likewise, economy, a word like energy. So you may have to go out and use the same words, right? However, wherever possible we are saying, see if you can paraphrase. So one way to avoid uh, plagiarism, avoid copyright violation is by paraphrasing. And techniques for paraphrasing, one technique we already discussed, you can change the vocabulary by using synonyms. The second technique, you can change the word class. What does it mean? If in the original content, the word is used as a noun, you can now plan to use it as a verb, as an adjective, or an adverb, etc. Like for example, look at the word explanation, explanation is a noun. Right? You can, instead of using the same word, you can now use the verb form of explanation, which is the word explain. Likewise, mechanical is an adjective. Instead of that, you can use the verb form, mechanize. Profitable is an adjective. Instead of that, you, have to, you can use the noun form, profitability. So, as you understand, another technique of paraphrasing is changing the word class, changing the parts of speech. However, for being able to do that, you need to be thoroughly acquainted with grammar. So, I encourage you to watch the course that we offer called Language Skills for Writers. If you're not yet enrolled, do enroll for that as well. If you're already enrolled, you have access to that. Please complete that course first before you watch this course because you understand about grammar, spelling, punctuation, etc then the third technique for paraphrasing is changing the word order you can change the order of the words like for example look at the sentence the best explanation for the British location of the industrial revolution is found by studying demand factors now by changing word order you can write it as a focus on demand may help explain the UK origin of the industrial revolution have you understood this? industrial revolution word is retained as it is British location we have changed it as UK origin explanation is changed to explain we have used the previous techniques that we already discussed that's how we have done the rewriting this is called paraphrasing Now. In, we understood the paraphrasing, now let's look at summarizing There are different stages of summarizing Making oral summaries is a common activity Like for example, let's say you have gone and watched a film, a movie And you want to narrate the story to your friend You do a oral summary, isn't it? Similarly, if you read a book, you want to explain it to a friend or a colleague You also do a oral summary In academic writing, creating summary, the ability to write summaries is a very important skill Because it allows you as a writer to condense the lengthy source into a concise form In fact, there are a lot of projects online, freelance projects available Where you'll be required to write summaries I recollect one of, uh, one of such types of projects that I've done Uh, about couple of years back, I think three years back, initially the client said I am supposed to write a book summary, the client is from UK, she actually sent across the book to courier, hard copy of the book, I had to read the book, 200 page book, and then I wrote a summary, the client wanted a 10 page summary, look at that, so I had to read the entire book first, understand it, and then write the summary, and after I have written the summary, the client then revealed saying that this is a test project, a pilot project, as an example, as a test to understand my ability to write summaries. And later of course she gave me a project that involved writing about 9 ebooks, each book 50 to 60 pages, it was no, 11 ebooks, yeah? total 11 books I had to write for the client, all of them ebooks, and I charged about 4000 dollars for the project. So understand that if you are able to develop the skill of writing summaries, you can pick up projects online and offline, it is an essential and vital skill which is needed for every content writer. Summarizing is a very flexible tool, you can use it to give one sentence synopsis of an article, or you can also provide more details depending upon the requirements of your client, of your employer. There are broadly 5, fa- five stages in the summarizing process, number one stage one, You have to read the original text carefully and check any new or difficult vocabulary Number two, you have to mark the key points by underlining or highlighting Once you complete reading the original text and once you understand the difficult or new vocabulary You have to underline, you have to highlight the important points you have to consider while summarizing Then stage three, you have to prepare notes based upon the key points that you underline And when you do that preparation of the notes, you have to paraphrase the original content wherever possible Then stage four, you have to write the summary from the notes that you prepared, reorganizing the structure if needed And stage 5, you have to check the summary to ensure that it is correct, accurate and to ensure that nothing important has been changed or lost. These are the 5 stages involved in in the summarizing process. So now, before you go on to the next video, in the comment box below this video, quickly summarize what you understood. Explain the techniques for paraphrasing, also explain the stages for summarizing. Just list out the stages and the techniques before you go on to the next video. welcome back let us now look at the components of writing we will understand the concepts related to paragraphs writing introduction and conclusion proofreading various styles of academic writing and then we will also look at using abbreviations as part of your academic content let us start with the first one using paragraphs we know paragraph is the basic building block of academic writing well structured paragraphs they actually help the reader to understand the topic more easily by dividing up the argument into convenient sections so remember that When you write paragraphs, you have to ensure that each paragraph focuses on only one concept or one topic. If you want to explain a second concept, second topic, put that into a different paragraph. That is the purpose of using paragraphs. So if you structure your paragraphs in an efficient manner, professional manner, it becomes very easy for the reader to understand each of the topics that you are explaining. Because the reader will realize that each paragraph focuses on a different concept or a different topic. So we will now look at the components of paragraphs, the way the components are linked together, and also linkage between paragraphs in the overall text. We know a paragraph is a, small, is a group of sentences that deals with a single topic. Of course, the length of paragraphs varies significantly according to the type of the text you are writing. But obviously, it should not be less than four or five sentences when you write academic content. In other content, like technical, for example, you may have to use less than or more than four to five sentences, remember that. Normally, the first sentence introduces the topic. It's not always compulsory, but usually that's the practice. The first sentence in your paragraph should, in your paragraph should introduce the topic. Other sentences may give definitions, examples, extra information, or provide reasons, or restatements, or summaries. And the parts of the paragraph are linked together by the phrases and conjunctions In fact, they guide the reader through the arguments presented To understand what's a conjunction, what's a phrase, you have to go through the course called language skills for writers Now, how do we link paragraphs together? Each new paragraph begins with a phrase that links it to the previous paragraph In order to maintain continuity of argument So you may want to use words like this, despite this, all these claims, etc So your second, third, fourth paragraph, etc can start with phrases like this Despite this means the lack of a conclusive link Or all these claims means arguments in favour of home ownership, etc Likewise, in order to begin a new topic, you may choose to use any of these phrases. For example, turning to the issue of a population in the country, etc., or turning to the issue of lack of enough drinking water, in, etc., or turning to the issue of increasing internet usage, etc. So you can start your paragraph using word phrases like turning to the issue of. Similarly, you can also start your paragraph with phrase like rates of infection must also be examined etc etc or dash is another area for consideration for example drinking water is another area of consideration population growth is another area for consideration increased internet usage is another area for consideration so every new topic you can start in the paragraph by using phrases like this paragraphs can also be introduced with adverbs for example traditionally, finally, usually, rarely etc So now pause this video here and summarize what you understood now, write an example for each of these concepts that we have discussed Write an example for linking your paragraph to previous paragraph using words like this Write an example for beginning a new topic, write an example for introducing with adverbs After you complete that activity then continue watching this video In the next video we will understand introduction and conclusion and also proofreading So let us continue our discussion regarding the components of writing. We will now look at introduction and conclusion. An effective introduction explains the purpose and also the scope of the content, the paper, the article to the reader. Conclusion should provide a clear answer to any question asked in the title as well as it should help to summarize the main points. Remember that introductions are usually not more than about 10% of the total length of the assignment. So let's say writing a 2000 word essay, an article of 2000 words, then your introduction is approximately 200 words, not more than that. definitely. Remember this benchmark, 10% maximum. Introduction structure, there is no standard pattern for an introduction because that depends on the type of research that you carry out or the type of content your client wants from you, it also depends on the length of your work, but usually a framework that is followed universally can be listed out as follows, number one, definition of key terms if needed, if you intend to use some specific vocabulary, technical terms, you may have to provide definitions there in the introduction itself, you can also provide the relevant background information for the article for the content that you are writing, you can also uh, provide a review of the work by other writers on the topic, you can specify the purpose or aim of the paper that you are writing, you can also define the methods and the results that you found, and then of course any limitations you imposed finally the organization of your work all this can be the framework that is universally followed for the structure of an introduction remember the certain words or phrases in the title may need clarifying because they are not widely understood so that is where it is always useful to remind the reader of the wider context of your work this may also show the value of the study you have carried out and difficult words or technical terms that you want to use you can provide the definitions in the beginning of the introduction itself if required while a longer article may have a separate literature review in a shorter essay it is still important to show a familiarity with researchers who have studied this topic previously. This will also help you to reveal a gap in the research that justifies your work, and that is why, depending upon whether the content that you write is a long essay or a short essay, you have to decide to include a separate section as literature review, if it's a long essay, you'll have a literature review section, if it's a short essay, you don't need a separate section for literature review, however, you should definitely indicate through your writing that you are accustomed, you are familiar with the studies done by other people as well, remember, when we talk about academic writing, we are always focusing on research, the the project report, thesis report, journal paper, research paper, etc, hence we'll continue to use words like this. Then, the aim of your research must be clearly stated to the reader, so that he knows what you are trying to explain. And methods that you have followed, methods you have implemented, should demonstrate the process that you undertook to achieve the aim given specified before in the introduction. You cannot deal with every aspect of the topic in an essay, so you must make clear the boundaries of your study. You should explain what is the scope of the work, that way the reader will not be disappointed later. Understanding the structure of your work will help the reader to follow your argument as well. That's about the introduction and conclusion. Now quickly in the comment box below this video, list out what you understood about introduction and conclusion, and then continue watching about proofreading. Proofreading we know means checking the work for small errors that may make it difficult for the reader to understand exactly what you want to say. Now if a sentence has only one error it is fine, easy for the reader to understand, but if there are more errors you may struggle to understand. That is the reason why you should always carry out proofreading of your work before you submit to your client, to your employer. So if a sentence has only one error like the example here, she has no enough interpersonal skills to handle different relationships, no enough is the error. However it's still understandable, whereas if there are multiple errors even though they are all very small and minor, the the combined effect can create a lot of confusion for the reader. For example look at this sentence, demolition of several UK banks. Uh, ...like northern uh, rock and many many others a lot of errors in this uh, reader will struggle to understand. So clearly you should aim to make your meaning as clear as possible, as specific as possible. Note that the computer definitely will do spell check, word MS word will definitely do a spell check. But it may not help you always because the software may ignore words which are correctly spelled. However that may not be the word that you actually wanted to use. For example observe here. Tau factors are needed to be considered. Tau is a word which is rightly spelt, but that's not the word you want to use here. You may want to use the word two factors. so it becomes a wrong spelling. An MS word cannot identify, cannot catch such errors. Even when you use other software tools, you cannot find such errors. You have to read manually. You have to do proofreading yourself. In fact, there are tools meant for identifying the errors with respect to grammar, spelling, punctuation also. In the course called internet tools for writers I have explained those tools also so if you do not have access to that course please do enroll for that course as well if you already have access to the course called internet tools, internet tools for writers my suggestion would be go through that course as well become thoroughly acquainted with all the tools available for content writers in the world today because that way you will be more equipped more empowered and you will find that your confidence increases with all those tools ready to be used at your will. Now sometimes there are words which are confusing so let's look at some examples then proofreading is important right you have to check for mistakes with some confusing pairs of words also now these words will have different spellings uh, sometimes similar meaning for example let's look at the sentences here the drought affected the wheat harvest in Australia and immediate effect of the price rise was a fall in demand effect and effect are two different words spelling is different the meaning is also different how effect and effect are two different words as we said however effect is a verb whereas effect is a noun so whenever you want to use it in the verb form you have to use it with the letter a in the noun form you have to use it with the letter e don't get confused. Some more examples of confusing word pairs, observe here, accept is a verb, accept is a preposition. Look at the sentences, it is difficult to accept their findings, the report is finished, except for the conclusion. Next, complement C-O-M-P-L-I-M-E-N-T, complement can be used as a noun or a verb, complement C-O-M-P-L-E-M-E-N-T is used as a verb. For example, her colleagues complimented her on her presentation, her latest book complements his previous research on African politics. So if you look at the pronunciation also, P-L-I is complemented, whereas P-L-E, complemented complement complement right next economic is used as an adjective economical is also used as an adjective example usage in the sentence sharing a car to work was an economical move inflation was one economic result of the war ITS it's is a pronoun IT apostrophe S is pronoun plus verb the short form combination example it's widely agreed that means it is widely agreed that carbon emissions are rising look at the next sentence the car's advanced design was its most distinct feature it is not pronoun plus verb it is a pronoun ITS it's here so now pause this video here in the comment box below this video you have to now write at least two examples for each of these confusing word pairs write two sentences for accept and accept similarly write two sentences for compliment and compliment one for first word one for the second word do that with all these pairs of confusing words and then continue watching this video now we will look at more examples of confusing word pairs lose l-o-s-e lose used as a verb l-o-s-e lose used as an adjective no general ever plans to lose a battle he stressed the lose connection between religion and psychology principle P-A-L principal adjective or noun P-L-E is used as a noun for example all economists recognize the principle of supply and demand Jurich is the principal city of Switzerland this is P-L-E principal P-A-L principal city of Switzerland rise R-I-S-E used as a verb particularly past tense becomes rose R-I-S-E raise is a verb past tense is raised let's look at the example usage in the sentences the population of Sydney rose past tense R-O-S-E past tense of rise rose by 35% in the century the university raised RISCD. That's the past tense for raise. Its fees by 10% last year. Next, SITE site is a noun. SIGSP site is also a noun. Look at the difference in the meaning when you use in the sentence. The sight, site SITE, site of the battle, is now covered by an airport. His site began to weaken when he was in his 80s. Next, tend to verb. Tend is a noun. Young children tend to enjoy making a noise. Many, in many countries, there is a trend towards smaller families. Again, pause this video here and quickly write your own examples for each of these pairs. Write one sentence for the first word. Once Next set of videos Hey, welcome back. We will now look at the writing style, styles of academic writing. We know that you don't have one single correct style of academic writing, and that is the reason why it is important that you develop your own style, your own voice. In general, you should attempt to be accurate, impersonal, and also objective. Accurate means without any errors or mistakes. Impersonal without being personal. Objective means precise and concise. For example, personal pronouns like I and V have to be avoided when you do academic writing when you write business content you have to use more of i and we but in academic writing technical writing we avoid personal pronouns like i or we because it is considered to be informal language now some guidelines there are no rules for academic style as we already said however these guidelines will help you develop and nurture your own style in the long term number one do not use idiomatic or colloquial vocabulary for example words like kids boss his boss his kids should be avoided instead use words like children manager boss replace with manager, kids replace with children because when you use words like kids or boss it becomes very informal, doesn't sound academic to ensure that your content is considered by academic content you have to practice using words like this, children, manager, etc. instead of words like kids and boss. So avoid using idiomatic colloquial vocabulary. Colloquial means vocabulary we use in the normal conversation with colleagues or friends. Next, use vocabulary accurately. Understand there's a difference between rule and law, both are different. So don't tend to use them synonymously. Similarly difference between weather and climate. And you are expected to know if you study these subjects, isn't it? Next, be as precise as possible when dealing with facts or figures, for example, avoid phrases such as, about a hundred or hundreds of years ago, if it is necessary to estimate numbers, use words like approximately rather than about, about does not indicate approximation, avoid using the words like about, use words like approximately. Next, your conclusion should be tentative, you should use tentative language, so avoid absolute statements, like for example, unemployment causes crime, we are not sure, don't make such strong statements use tentative statements, use cautious phrases, like for example you can rewrite it and say unemployment may cause crime, or unemployment tends to cause crime, isn't it? We're not sure, because when you make such strong statements, the reader will start getting negative bias towards you. Next, avoid adverbs that show your personal attitude, for example, luckily, remarkably, surprisingly, all this indicate your own personal attitude, you should avoid using such adverbs. Do not contact the verb forms like don't, cont, etc. Write the full form, like do not, cannot, because in academic content you have to make it formal, Next, although academic English tends to use the passive more often than standard English, it should not be overused, you have to use both passive and active voice, because when you write academic content, particularly let's say you are writing a research paper, thesis paper, a dissertation, journal paper, academic manual, etc, you should always use the passive voice more than the active voice, however, there is no need to completely avoid active voice, wherever needed you have to use it, for example, Galileo discovered the moons of Jupiter, that's in the active voice, nothing wrong with that, instead of saying moons of Jupiter were discovered by Galileo, right, you can use the active voice like this. In the first case the focus is on Galileo whereas in the second case focus is on the moons you decide what should be the focus accordingly decide to use active or passive voice however understand and remember that most often academic content is written in the passive voice particularly when you are writing research papers thesis papers dissertations or technical papers including journal papers next you should also learn to avoid the following what are they number one avoid using the word like to introduce examples use words like such as or for instance avoid using words like thing and combinations like nothing or something use words like factor issue or topic Avoid using words like lots of, use a significant number of or a considerable number of, avoid using words like little or big, use small or large, and avoid using get phrases such as get better or get worse, use words like improve or deteriorate, if you are not sure how to get these words, I already suggested, there are a lot of tools available, so watch the course internet tools for writers where you will understand which tools, which tools to use, similarly avoid using words like good, bad etc which are very very simplistic, use words like positive, negative etc which uh, changes, for example the changes have several positive aspects, Positive. We are using the word positive instead of using good. Then, do not use question forms such as "Why did war break out in 1914?" Instead of that, use statements like "There were three reasons for the outbreak of war in 1914," etc. These are some guidelines you have to keep in mind and also practice them. Next, avoid numbering sections of your text, except in reports and long essays. Instead of that, use conjunctions and signposting expressions to introduce new sections. For example, turning to the question of detecting cancer, etc., etc. Likewise, when you are writing lists, avoid using "etc." and so on. Insert and before the last item for example the main products for pharmaceuticals, electronic goods and confectionery. avoid using two word verbs such as go on or bring up if there is a suitable synonym for example instead of using go on or bring up you can use continue or raise then you should also learn to avoid repetition and redundancy what is meaning of repetition? repetition means repeating a word instead of using a synonym to provide variety which makes the text more interesting so look at this example Instead of writing it as most family businesses employ less than 10 people, these businesses, see the word business is already used and you are now repeating it. Instead of repeating it you can use a synonym to create variety. So you can rewrite it and say most family businesses employ less than 10 people, these firms, instead of businesses we are using the word firms here, understood? That's how you can avoid repetition and create novelty, create variety in your content. Similarly you should also avoid redundancy, what is the meaning of redundancy? Redundancy means idea or including an irrelevant point, it suggests that you are not fully in control of the material. It also gives the impression to the reader that you do not properly understand the language or that you are trying to pad the essay by repeating the same point again and again. And you have to avoid phrases like that. For example, homelessness is a global problem in the whole world. Global itself, whole world. What do you want to again include the words whole world? That is said to be an example of redundancy. So you have to ensure that you write with precision, you write with economy your content should be economic, that means you have to use it carefully, sparingly, so you can rewrite this sentence and say, homelessness is a global problem, that's it, when you say gro- global problem, it in anyway indicates it's in the whole world, you don't have to again repeat that word, have you understood this concept of redundancy and repetition? In the comment box below this video, quickly list out what you have understood about the writing style and give an example for each of the guidelines that we discussed, please do that in the comment box before you go on to the next video, in the next video we will look at how to use abbreviations. Welcome back let us now look at the usage of abbreviations we know that abbreviations are an important and expanding feature of contemporary English and they are widely used for convenience as well as for space saving it is helpful if you can get yourself familiarized with the general and academic abbreviations abbreviations take the form of shortened words, acronyms and also other abbreviations so if you look at it, we can classify them into three types of abbreviations the first one, shortened words they are often used without the writer being aware of the original form for example, often when we speak also we use the word bus, isn't it? bus actually comes from omnibus which is hardly used in the current day English however, refrigerator is still better to be written as refrigerator rather than using the informal word fridge public house is now very formal of course pub is acceptable but television or TV should be used instead of the usual expression that was in practice earlier the word tele t-e-l-l-y after shortened words the second type of abbreviations are actually acronyms they are made up of the initial letters of a name or a phrase for example people say AIDS which actually stands for the acquired immune deficiency syndrome similarly we have ISRO indian space research organization likewise nasa and similarly we have t-i-m-e time these are examples of acronyms and the letters of the name or the phrase the initial letters are combined instead of pronouncing each letter separately they are together pronounced as a word that is said to be an acronym then examples of other abbreviations they are read as sets of individual letters they include names of countries organizations or companies for example usa bbc ibm ISBM or ISB, Indian School of Business, ECIL, ONGC, DRDO, HAL, BHEL these are various examples of other abbreviations which are read as sets of individual letters and these abbreviations are also sometimes found in uh, written English for example PTO for please turn over now that you understood the types of abbreviations you need to pause this video and in the comment box below this video list out examples for shortened words examples for acronyms and also examples for other abbreviations Provide your own examples at least three to four for each of these and then continue watching the video. We will now look at the commonly used abbreviations, ICT stands for Information and Communications Technology, IMF International Monetary Fund, LLB though it's LLB it actually stands for Bachelor of, Bachelor of Laws, MA Master of Arts, MSc Master of Science, similarly PG, PGCE, PhD, Doctor of Philosophy but it's abbreviated as PhD, then we have PLC, PR, UCAS, UG, UN, URL, Uniform Resource Locator a VC, Vice Chancellor, WTO, World Trade Organization, etc. However, please understand that writers also employ more specialized abbreviations in the texts which are explained in brackets when you use them first time. For example, when you are, let's say, writing an article or a paper, if a sentence says, starting from the resource-based view of the firm, it is argued that, so in the bracket, this resource-based view can be abbreviated as RBV, first time when you write it, and from the next time onwards, you don't have to do write the entire phrase, you can just start using the abbreviation RBV which means since you already described explained what RVV is going to stand for earlier you can continue to use that abbreviation in your writing one more example the technology readiness index TRI was introduced by Parasuraman now coming to punctuation with respect to abbreviations there are many standard abbreviations that have a full stop after them to show that it is a shortened form for example LT dot indicates it is a shortened form for liter the full stop indicates that other examples are GOVT dot government CO dot for company OCT dot for October with acronyms and other abbreviations there is no standard pattern for using full stops so you can feel free to use either BBC or BBC with full stops in between both are acceptable however there is a tendency to use full stops less and less the important thing is to employ a consistent style in your work there are some duplicate abbreviations sometimes abbreviations can be confusing PC for example it can stand for personal computer it can also represent politically correct or even police constable it is useful to be aware of these potential confusing abbreviations so we suggest that you use a good dictionary because a good dictionary provides you a list of more unusual abbreviations Now, certain abbreviations are found in all types of academic writing some examples are listed on the screen anonymous a-n-o-n right asap as soon as possible ed for editor or edition eg for example et al for and others fig for figure i-bid in the same place ie that is k thousand n-b take careful note n-b it means to take careful note nd no date op c-i-t in the source mentioned previously pa yearly that means per annum pp, pages, ps, Postscript. sometimes you would see on the emails letters people say P- ps and then write, right, that's called postscript. script, re dot with reference to, these are some abbreviations which are found in most academic writing content, so in this video we understood the meaning and also types as well as the examples of abbreviations, quickly summarize in the video, be- in the comment box below this video, you are learning in about 2 to 3 sentences, before you meet me in the next video. Hey welcome back, we will now start our discussion regarding various formats possible in the context of academic content writing, these are actually called as the academic formats. We will first look at letter writing, email writing, writing memos and of course CV, curriculum vitae, then we will look at more formats later, so let us start with letter writing, we know letter writing is a very important communication skill. In today's internet and email driven society there are less opportunities to write letters, However, in most organizations this continues still to be the practice particularly in the government departments and also public sector companies so it is still necessary to present a formal letter to obtain information or to apply for a job or to write a complaint letter or to just simply express an opinion in an effective manner so before you start writing a letter you have to consider a couple of aspects five of them in fact number one you need to decide the topic of focus for the letter you need to think about the receiver of the letter accordingly phrase the contents you need to identify the purpose of writing You should also gather information you need and do additional research if required. And of course you have to make a simple outline of the points that you need to cover. This is the introduction regarding letter writing. Let us now look at different types of letters. Generally you can classify these types into two formats. One, the formal letter or the informal and personal letter. Now informal letters have one or more of the following purposes. Maybe to think, to give news, to apologize, to invite or to reply to another letter. The general format of an informal letter uh, will look like this you will write your address and the date at the top right hand corner of the page you will begin with a salutation or greeting saying hi dear etc you will set the main purpose of a letter in the beginning couple of one two sentences itself you don't need to worry about implementing punctuation rules rigidly because it's an informal letter you can use the last paragraph to send good wishes and mention your future meeting and you might want to finish your letter with a farewell message like love or best wishes, regards, see you soon, all my love etc that's about the informal letter now the structure of a formal letter all the lines sentences have to be aligned towards the left margin And the first information you put on a formal letter is usually your name, the address, and the date. Then you have to type the recipient's address. You will use their full name and also include their title, like Mr. or Mrs. or Dr. etc. If you do not know the person, you will begin with the position of the person, the title, uh, the job name, right, the designation. Then you will skip a line and write your salutation, dear sir or madam or dear manager, etc. You will begin the letter with the purpose and reference, if any, and you will keep to the point. You will have to be brief and give all the necessary information. And finally you will conclude the letter with Yours sincerely or sincerely. After the complimentary close you will skip three lines and then you will write your full name. That is usually the structure of a formal letter. We also have something called as a cover letter. Sometimes when you send your CV or resume along with that you may have to also attach a cover letter. So cover letter is a one page document which is sent along with your job application maybe in addition to your CV and a strong cover letter makes your application stand out because the first thing that the, uh, the HR recruiter will go through is a cover letter. If that is written impressively then there is high chance possibility that you will receive an interview call letter. So the basic format of a cover letter contains all of the elements that we have listed out on the screen. Number one your contact information on the date, the employer's contact information, paragraph one you'll explain the reason for writing, paragraph two you'll explain what you have to offer to the company, why they should consider you, paragraph three you'll explain what is the next course of action, maybe you'll request for an interview in person and then finally you'll close the cover letter with the usual components which are part of every letter. So in this video we understood the letter writing, let us also understand the email writing, email we know is short for electronic mail and it is similar to a letter, it is widely used in all but most formal business situations. It is quick way of reaching out to someone because the recipient can easily receive your email as soon as you go online or they go online. Moreover, it is highly secure and the least cost involved. Of course, other advantages of using email is that you can attach photos, documents, other files also to the email, so that more information can be shared. Now, what is the format of an email? Usually, an email has couple of components which are all listed out here. A two address, a CC, carbon copy, sometimes BCC, block carbon copy, right? Subject line, if the mail is a reply, then there is a default subject line that starts with RE. Salutation, this is usually optional in the email, you can start off without salutation also. You'll have to explain the reason for writing the beginning of your email, you focus and elaborate on the main point. Developing of the point and additional points are all optional. Then finally you'll close the email, sometimes emails end without the need for having a closing sentence. Because email is used most often in the professional context, business context. And there could be sequential exchange of emails, so there's no need to actually include a closing line in every email. Then of course you should understand the guidelines for writing emails as per the company that you're working with. Every business will have their own guidelines. And we know that email should be brief and clear. You need to avoid mistakes and edit carefully before sending. You have to use a plain background to ensure email is easy to read, avoid putting up any background colors. You should avoid writing sarcastic or angry comments. If you are writing email to people within your company, you need to avoid addressing them as dear. You can end the email by writing, by including words like kind regards, best wishes, thanks and regards, etc. The last six points that we have mentioned just now are the usual guidelines that you will find in most organizations. However, depending upon the business with which you are working, you need to first cross-check what is the uh, benchmark, what are the best practices followed for email writing. Accordingly, you have to include and incorporate them into your own emails. Now, in emails. You have to use capital where necessary, however, you should not capitalize entire sentences that will be equal to shouting at the recipient and of course you should avoid using too many abbreviations also, however there are some standard abbreviations which are generally understood such as ASAP, as soon as possible, ETC etc, IE for example or that is RE for regarding, so in this video we understood letter writing as well as email writing, quickly summarize your learning in the comment box below this video, in the next video we will look at memo and also CV. So welcome, let us now look at memo on CV writing. A memo is actually the short form for Memorandum and it is normally used for communicating the policies or procedures in an organization or anything that's related to official business within the organization. Now a memo's purpose is to inform others about new or changed policies, procedures, organizational details. Sometimes it can also be used for persuasion. So some uses of memos can be listed out as follows. To announce meetings, events or changes. To present decisions, directives, proposals or briefings. To transmit documents internally within an organization what is the structure of a memo broadly there are four different sections in a memo the first one is the subject line it summarizes the main idea and you have to consider it as being preceded by the words like this memo is about etc etc that's how we write the subject line then we have the introductory paragraph it quickly has to inform the reader about what the memo is so you have to give your purpose for writing you have to supply any relevant background information you have to identify any task the memo is related to and then we have the body section of the memo it conveys the information and supporting details relevant to the memos purpose you need to keep the paragraph short and focused Ensuring that there's only one idea being discussed in one paragraph. You have to keep sentences short and brief and highly informative. You have to use bullets to list information wherever possible instead of writing essays and paragraphs. And finally the close, end courteously, think of a phone call or face-to-face meeting. And you have to state any expected outcome, action or other information appropriate to your purpose. You have to clearly specify what the recipient of the memo has to do after completion of reading of the memo. For example, you might say please send me your comments and suggestions by January 16th. Or let's meet next week to go over the next stage in the plan, etc. That is about the structure of a memo. Let us now look at CV writing. What's a curriculum vitae? You know curriculum vitae is usually abbreviated as CV, and that's a Latin term which translates as the course of one's life, that's the meaning of curriculum vitae, the course of one's life. It's a summary of your academic and work history. A well-formatted CV can actually dramatically improve your chance to successfully obtain a desirable position in an organization. Now, people also use words like biodata and resume. Let's look at the meaning of these three words. While a CV, biodata and resume are roughly equal in documents, there are important differences in their usage and also the content in each of them. Biodata is actually the short form of biographical data, and it emphasizes on the personal particulars like date of birth, the sex, that's the gender, the nationality, marital status, height, weight, etc. By it as a specific format, whereas resume is an advertising tool for selling oneself as the most qualified candidate. It is typically used in the business context and there is no specific format for a resume. The most basic difference between CV and resume is in terms of the length of the two documents. A CV is used primarily when applying for fellowships and grants and it is static in nature. So what's the importance of a CV? CV, as we said, is a personal statement over which you have complete control. When you apply for a job, your CV will probably be one of the dozens of other CVs seen by the HR department. So in order to impress them, you have to ensure that the CV is clear, accurate, and well presented, as well presented as possible. Even if the person is highly qualified, CVs that contain irrelevant material are considered to be badly organized, and sometimes if there are spelling mistakes, the CV might completely be rejected by the HR recruiters. Couple of things you have to keep in mind. There is no need to give your gender, date of birth, or marital status in the CV. That practice is already outdated. The two sides is the maximum that most employers want to read. So beyond two pages, there is no point trying to have a CV of 10, 20, 30 pages. The details should be relevant to the particular job you are applying for. Do not share a generic CV. Avoid cliches claims such as team worker, self starter or you know active listening skills, hard working etc. Information such as education details is normally presented in the reverse chronological order. What does it mean? The most recent qualifications have to be mentioned first and then the past ones later. The details of your early education or hobbies are probably irrelevant to the post. So usually CVs, CV need not contain your uh, education information regarding your schooling or college or hobbies, they need not be part of a CV. So what are the components of a CV then? Experts in this industry have suggested that these are the components of a CV, these are the important sections which should be present in every CV. Number one, the personal details. It is vital that the recruiter can spot at a glance not only your name but also how precisely he can get in touch with you. So your CV should be headed with your name in bolds probably and clearly before any other details. Then you can add your address, your phone number, your email address, your date of birth, sex, marital status, religion, other number, etc. But as we already said, this practice of putting up date of birth, sex, marital status, religion has already become outdated. Those details are no longer needed. But some organizations, particularly the public sector companies, might still want you to include them in the CV. So according to the job for which you are applying, you need to decide. Then the professional profile, that's the next section on a CV. It is a brief statement at the very beginning of the CV, which conveys the reader, an overall impression of your key personal and professional characteristics. Now this part also includes your academic or personal experiences and your abilities, which are crucial for the job. Now why are we discussing how to write a CV? Of course, you might want to use this information to write your own CV. However, please note that as a writer, you might be hired by a client at times to write their CV. That is where you need to be acquainted thoroughly with all the sections. That's the reason why we are discussing this. The third section in a CV is the objective section, that is where the task of the objective section is is to explain the preferred career direction and details on what you hope to achieve from your future career. While writing the objective statement, you need to write down the types of positions, the types of organizations or settings, and the specific skills you want to use or develop in your next job. Then we have the section called education and qualifications. This part includes the descriptions of your qualifications, the dates you received your qualifications, what grades or class or marks that you achieved, the names of the institutions where you completed your education and acquired your qualifications, any special certifications, licenses, additional vocational trainings, etc. All of them can be mentioned in this section called educational qualifications. Then we have the next section called as the career history and work experience. You need to start with your present or the most recent job and work all the way back to your very first job. In this section you need to specify the dates you work for each organization, your job title or the function, the name of the organization for which you work for, along with the location where you are posted and a compelling description of what your role involved. The next section is the key skills. You know a key skill section is the summary of the main skills and abilities that you plan to offer to the prospective employer. You can include your communication skills, interpersonal skills, administrative skills, organization skills, presentation skills, whatever is relevant to the job profile. Then we have three more sections. The achievements. In in this section you can highlight your personal, professional, and academic achievements, any awards or rewards that you might have obtained, any special recognitions, etc. And then we have the interests and activities section. This is where you can simply summarize your interests and extracurricular activities. For example items like sports, acting, dancing, painting, creative writing, etc. Then we have the references section. The referees listed should be willing to confirm your claims, so always cross-check with them before you share the details on your CV. They can be your teachers, your supervisors, former boss or even your neighbors, if your neighbors are professionals connected with the job that you are applying for. So in this video we understood the details of a memo and also how to write a CV. Before you go on to the next set of videos, quickly list out in the comment box below this video, what are the most important sections in a CV and also explain the purpose and structure of a memo. Please do that before you go on to the next video. Hey, welcome back. In this video, we will now look at more academic formats. There are five different types of academic content we're going to look at. Writing reports, writing case studies, writing literature reviews, writing other reviews like book review, film review, or product review. And finally, we'll look at different types of reports in detail. We will first start with writing reports. While essays are often concerned with the abstract or theoretical subjects, a report is actually a description of a situation or something that has happened. And in academic terms, a report can, can describe an experiment that you might have conducted, a survey you might have carried out, a comparison of alternative proposals to deal with the situation. Clearly, there is a big difference between describing a scientific laboratory equipment and reporting on political opinions, isn't it? However, most reports should include the following features. One, the introduction, that is where the background to the subject should be provided, and also the reasons for carrying out the work along with the review of other research in the area should be specified. Then we have the methods. This is where you will explain how you did your research. You will describe the tools and materials you have used as part of your research. Next, we have the results section. That is where you will share what you have discovered, what you have been able to find, the findings. You will also provide comments on likely accuracy of the results, and then discussion section where you explain your main findings, comments on the effectiveness of your research, finally the conclusion of your report, which is where you will summarize your work and also provide suggestions for further research. These are the usual sections, components of every report. Now in comparison with essays, reports are likely to be based on primary as well as secondary research. Primary means you directly go to the field and collect the information, where secondary research is where you will compile data and information from other researchers already done. You'll also use numbering, 1.1, 1.2, etc., and subheadings for different sections. And a report is usually more specific and detailed. These components will not be applicable to writing an essay. In most other aspects, reports are actually similar to essays, since both of them have a clear and logical format, both of them use objective and accurate academic style, both of them include citations and references, and both of them also make use of visual information in the form of graphs and tables, and both also include appendices wherever necessary. These are the similarities between reports and essays, whereas these are the differences. These three are uh, examples of how a report is different from an essay. Now let us look at a case study, we know a case study is a detailed example, it may be the main subject of an essay or part of a longer report sometimes, in either case a case study is intended to show exactly what happened in a particular situation, for example if you are discussing methods of market linkages in rural areas, a case study might follow the real life efforts of a marketing team in a specific state India, of India over a period of months, so case study is actually a real life scenario which is narrated which is captured in a short description, then we also have something called as literature review. In most of the papers, research papers, journal papers, etc., a summary of the relevant and recent authorities on the subject is also included in the introduction itself. Only a minority have a separate section headed the literature or literature review, although this is standard in almost every dissertation or thesis report. In all cases, it is usually necessary to show that you are familiar with the main sources, so that your writing can build on these. Occasionally, the whole focus of an essay may be a lengthy literature review, but in most college writing, it will only form a relatively short section of the paper, so remember that literature review is actually as a separate section in thesis or dissertation however in most of the college papers, journal papers it's usually just a short section in the entire paper a literature review is not simply a list of sources that you have studied please understand it can be used to show that there is a gap in the research that your work attempts to fill in for example look at this description as part of literature review this article has a different standpoint from other studies because it believes that the influence of the state on the market has structurally increased Since the neoliberal era, this article focuses on information production, not information accessibility. That's the difference between this research and previous studies. So you are highlighting the difference and you are establishing the the need for fresh research being carried out by you. That is how literature review has to help to fill in the gap or highlight the gap. It is also common to use the literature section to clarify the varying positions held by other researchers. For example, a sentence like this. The political competition literature comprises two main strands, water monitoring and political survival. Now, sometimes writers may also show how changes in thought have appeared at different times uh, through the literature review section. For example, a sentence like this. Of late, a number of papers have collated the various arguments as etc etc so we understood the uh, purpose or the three reasons why literature review is included in thesis or dissertations so in this video we have discussed writing reports writing case studies on literature review quickly summarize in three to four sentences maybe one sentence about each of them and your understanding summarize it in in the comment box below this video before you move on to the next set of videos welcome back in the previous video we have discussed the literature reviews however there are other reviews also possible so let us look at those other reviews for example a book review we know book review is a special form of academic writing that gives the opportunity to critically examine a topic in detail book reviews play a very important role in academic communication if you're going to review a book you should read the book carefully write down your impression and also research the author and his other books or other works. now book review should give a balanced critical evaluation of the text, should evaluate the contribution of the text, should set the work in a larger broader context, should identify the strengths and weaknesses of the arguments provided in the book, and also involve the reader in the discussion, that's how a book review should be written, so make sure that your review contains the title of the book, the author's details, the publisher details, the publication date, the format, the price, the number of pages, edition, and also the ISBN number. Now the format is very important, because nowadays there is a practice to publish books in different formats. You have the Kindle format, the PDF format, paperback edition, so your review should also specify in which format the book is available. The review is actually a report and it will have an introduction, a logical description, your findings, conclusion, also recommendation. Your review should also be direct and personal and your main purpose purpose is to give a clear overview and evaluation of the book. Sometimes you may also have to write a film review. We know the film review is a popular way for critics to assess a film's overall quality. It will help the public to decide whether they should watch the movie or not. A good film review should contain both negative as well as positive aspects of the film. film. Usually, film review should contain the following aspects. Number one, the title of the film in the introductory paragraph itself. You should also specify the genre to which the film belongs to. Is it drama, romance, fantasy, thriller, comedy or something else? You should also provide a summary of the entire film. And of course, you have to provide the context or background information about the movie. You should also write about the director and his contributions to the film industry. You have to include creative elements in the movie, like cinematography, camera, light and sound, music, choreography, costume designing, editing, art direction, etc. You can include detailed description about each of these in your film review. You should also include uh, the information regarding the actors and their performance. And of course, your own overall impression of the movie should definitely be part of every film review. Then we come to the product review. We know nowadays the need for product reviews is fast growing. Though this can at times be considered to be part of technical writing, it is also considered to be part of academic writing. So hence we are discussing this as part of academic writing. I am sure you are aware that we offer a separate course for technical writing skills. If you are not yet enrolled for that, I encourage you to enroll for that course as well. If you have already enrolled for that as well, please watch that course also if you want to learn how the technical writing industry functions. Now, coming back to the product review. A product review is a report written by a customer on a product to help people decide if they want to buy it. The most common reasons why people look for product reviews are four. Number one, to learn the pros and cons of the product, to find out if the product is meant for them, to find out if the product is of high quality and easy to use, to find out other users' experience with the product. These are the reasons why usually people want to read product reviews. And hence, when you write the product review, you have to keep this in mind. Accordingly, ensure you include information related to each of these areas. Now, before writing a review of any product, you should research about the product, you have to read the manufacturer's website, you have to get the product yourself if possible, and also use it if it is physically possible. You should know what traders are looking for, you should also list out the pros and cons of the product. However, though we said that you need to get the product and use it, this is not practically feasible in most cases. Because take the example of my own team, where we write 200 to 300 product reviews every month uh, for clients globally. Often, we don't get an opportunity to use the product ourselves. So my team actually does research online, we collect information from various websites and various sources. Sometimes the client himself or ourselves also shares inputs with us. And we read detail, we understand everything thoroughly then we start writing the product reviews now some common questions readers want to see answered in a product review are is the product convenient to use? is it of a high quality? is it suitable for someone like me? have others had a good experience with the product? what are the pros and cons of the product? what alternatives are available? how do they stand with respect to this product? is this product worthwhile? so questions like this are what people want to know the answers for hence keeping these in mind you have to ensure you include answers for at least some of them when you write the product reviews now There are various stages of writing a product review Let's look at them Number one, the introduction This is where a good review introduction will not only catch the attention of the reader But also provide a clear picture of the attractive features of the product you should also consider the target group, you have to include information on who are the beneficiaries of the product and why they want to use it. Teaching new customers about the product is an important aspect of a product review. Then you should also include the main benefit. There are always some benefits a product has to offer and listing out them properly in the review will help the customers make a better use of the information you share through the product review. You have to be balanced when you write the product reviews. You have to talk about what you like and also probably what you dislike. So compare the similar products available to buyers, analyze the pros and cons of each. However, please note that when you are hired by a client to write a product review, obviously you have to provide positive details, avoid the negative details, that's taken for, that's logical isn't it? And then you should also include the practical details. You have to describe things like price, where to get the product, about the guarantee, about the delivery time and so on. And finally you have to also include a conclusion, that's where you will summarize the benefits, the flaws of the product, evaluate whether the product quality is up to the company's marketing or not. All these are components which have to be included in product review and hence these are all the stages of writing a product review. So we understood in this video how uh, you can approach various types of reviews like book reviews, film reviews, product reviews. In about three to four sentences quickly summarize in the comment box below this video what you have learnt. Do not write the essay or paragraph, just write bu- bullets, bullet sentences. Please do that before you watch the next video. Let us now look at writing reports, we already had an initial discussion and an overview of writing reports, we will now look at more in detail. The structure of a report, first is the title page, this should briefly and explicitly describe the purpose of the report, it should also include your name, the date and for whom the report is written. Then we have the TOR, terms of reference, under this heading you should include a brief explanation of who will read the report. Then the summary, there needs to be a summary of the major points, conclusions and also recommendations, it needs to be short as it is a general review of the report and then we have the introduction. The first page of the report needs to have an introduction, you will have to explain the problem and show the reader why the report is being made. The body, this is the main section of the report, there should be several sections, each having a subtitle for itself. Information is usually arranged in the order of importance. Then we have the conclusion, this is where everything comes together. In the conclusion, you should highlight the central issues or findings through your research. Recommendations, this is what needs to be done. In other words, in this part, you should explain your recommendations, putting them in the order of priority. Then we have the appendices, this includes all the supporting information you have used that is not published, and this might include tables, graphs, questionnaires, surveys, or transcripts, etc. And finally we have the section called, references, bibliography, glossary of technical terms, which is self-explanatory, this is where you will include a list of technical terms, you might also want to include the details of references, various sources you have used for creating the report, all those details you have provided in the last section. Now, there are types of report. In fact, there are many types of report writing for organizations used for various purposes. We can broadly divide them as formal and informal. The formal report is the collection and interpretation of data and information. It is often complex and used at an official level. And it can also be classified, categorized into three major forms. The informational report, the analytical report, the recommendation report. We will look at each of them and also others a bit, a, in a little while. The informal informal reports help to inform, analyze, and recommend. It is written according to organization style and review. Examples are progress reports, financial reports, feasibility reports, credit reports, etc. Let us now look at each of those reports in detail, first is the recommendation report, it contains the cohesive and comprehensive overview of the recommended options, it also provides information about how this option answers the needs cited at the beginning of your report and specific details about how the idea could be implemented and provide justifications for its implementation. Now after describing and evaluating your options, you will recommend the option that you think is the best option and you have to provide a discussion of the reason why you recommend it, this is part of a recommendation report. Then we have evaluation report. The evaluation report is the key product of the evaluation process. It compares individual products, plans, programs, properties, organizations, etc. against the requirements that the company has and it makes an evaluative judgment whether it meets its expectations or whether it is good or useful. Then we have the feasibility reports. A feasibility report is a paper that examines a proposed solution and evaluate whether it is possible given certain constraints. This type of report studies a situation and plans for doing something about it and then determines whether that plan is feasible or not. Then we have progressive reports. A progressive report is an assessment that takes place during a project or process and it conveys details such as what sub-goals have been accomplished, what resources have been expected, what problems have been encountered, and whether the project or process is expected to be completed on time or not, whether it is to be, to be completed within budget or not. All those details will be part of the progressive report. In a progressive report, you can choose to explain any or all, all of the following. Number one, how much of the work is completed, what part of the work is currently in progress, what work remains to be done, what problems or unexpected things, if any, have arisen, and how the project is going on in general. Now, the important functions of a progress report. You have to, you, usually we create progress reports to reassure recipients that you are making progress, that the project is going smoothly and that it will be completed by the expected date. It is also used to provide recipients with a brief look at some of the findings or some of the work of the project and also to give recipients a chance to evaluate the work already being done on the project and to request any changes that they need. And of course, progress report also gives you a chance to discuss problems in the project and thus to forewarn the recipients. It helps you to force you, the progress report also forces you to establish a work schedule so that you will complete the project on time. And of course, such progress reports will project a sense of professionalism to your work and to your organization as well. There are types of progress reports, in a year long project there are usually three progress reports, one after three months, one after six months and then finally after nine months. Now depending on the size of the progress report, the length and importance of the project and the recipients, the progress report can be in any of the following forms. Number one, it can be in the form of a memo, remember we already discussed how to write memos letters earlier, a memo is a short informal report to someone within your organization. A letter on the other hand is a short and informal report sent to someone outside your organization and a formal report is a report sent to someone outside your organization. Now what is the structure of a progressive report? In your progress memo or report, you need to include the following sections. Number one, an introduction that reviews the purpose and scope of the project, a detailed description of your project and its history, and also an overall appraisal of the project to date, which usually acts as the conclusion. Of course, you need to include the couple of other items listed below. For example, an opening paragraph introducing the purpose of the memo and a reminder about the project topic. You have to provide the summary of the project, specific objectives of the project. You have to also describe the scope, the limitations of the project, the research gathered, overall assessment and also appraisal of the project at that particular point of time when you are writing the report. So in this video we understood the various types of reports, we also looked at in detail regarding progressive reports and also types in that, before you complete this course, in the comment box below this video, summarize your understanding and learning from this video, please do that, list out different types of reports, and also the purpose and structure for each of them, as, the, as per the description and the discussion we had just now, now this completes this course on academic writing skills. I hope you have enjoyed and I am sure you have a lot of inputs that you have received now through this course. Unless you start implementing them, unless you start practicing them, it is very easy to forget all of these concepts and hence I have been continuously encouraging you to capture your learning in the comment boxes below every video. If you have not been doing that, go back to the first video, rewatch each of these videos and summarize your learning in the comment boxes. Only then you will be able to retain this knowledge for a long period of time. Now that we completed this course on academic writing skills, you need to decide how you want to get into this industry. There are various options, one of course you can get into full time, you can work as a freelancer, and you'll also be able to start getting into other type of writings, like copywriting, technical writing, business writing, etc. If you're not enrolled for those courses with us, please do enroll for them also. Content writer, you will be expected to work on different types of content by your clients, also the company where you'll be hired, and hence you have to be prepared, you should acquire knowledge, skills, and abilities related to different types of content formats as well. So thank you very much for completing this course, best of luck, I look forward to meeting you in one of our other courses.